Welcome to the Game Changers Podcast, where we have clinical conversations that impact your pharmacy practice. If you are a CE Impact by Design member, you'll receive CE for listening and answering just a couple of quick questions. Let's listen in to this week's Game Changer in Pharmacy. Welcome to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University, Internal Medicine Clinical Pharmacist at Iowa Methodist Medical Center. Uh, today, um, we are going to talk about a, uh, a first, basically, and, and it is the first uh, set of guidelines for the treatment of, of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, or HEF-PEF. Um, and and uh, this is a kind of a, a, a kind of a game changer, <laughs> a little on point here, uh, just because uh, there really hasn't been a dedicated set of guidelines to HEFPEF uh, previously. Uh, usually there was some little blurb that came along with the HEFREF guidelines in previous years because frankly there wasn't any data to really support any one type of therapy over another. And so because of that, uh, previous iterations of the guidelines had like one section of, of, of basically how to treat HEFPEF Again, back in that day, it was called diastolic heart failure. I'm still of the opinion that, that you know, uh, I think that's somewhat confusing sometimes, but um, it is worth realizing that, that HEFPEF is not necessarily a diastolic dysfunction sort of thing. And so I think uh, much more so than HEFREF, where, I mean, okay, you have, you know, low ejection fraction, you know, and that's probably systolic heart failure. That th- those I think are a little more interchangeable terms than HEFPEF and diastolic heart failure because HEFPEF can be a variety of, of, of things and issues that are, are causing that. But in any event, in the old days, we basically said, you know, uh, we have no known treatments for HEFPEF. Um, and, and so basically try to maintain volume neutrality, you know, so put them on diuretics for, for symptomatic treatment. And basically, since hypertension is one of the biggest causes of HEFPEF to make sure their blood pressure is under control. And that was really all we could say, you know, basically for, again, at the time, what we call diastolic heart failure. Now, the, that's an issue because HEFPEF is actually one of the fastest rising causes of heart failure in the United States. And of course, that's hand in hand with the, with the hypertension epidemic that we've seen, right? So with uncontrolled hypertension being one of the biggest causes of HEFPEF, you're absolutely going to see more and more of these patients to the point now where it, it, it certainly, the, uh, it seems to me that, that, that HEFPEF uh, it, in my world is certainly the, the majority of patients who come in with heart failure exacerbations. And that's not just my, my experience. Uh, HEFPEF actually, uh, when you take a look at the literature, accounts for more than 50% of all cases of, of, of new heart failure. And unfortunately, the outcomes aren't any better, even though, even though it's a different pathophysiological mechanism, outcomes with HEFPEF are about as bad as HEFREF. And um, uh, since the focus has long been on improving outcomes in HEFREF patients, a lot of times we just kind of, you know, said, well, you know, there's all we can really do is, is treat your symptoms and, you know, try and prevent any further damage to the heart. And that, that's really, you know, what we're going to do. But as many of you know, that has changed. And, and we now have several modalities that seem to improve outcomes in HEFPEF patients to the point now where goal-directed medical therapy, which of course is the standard of treatment for uh, HEF. RAF, right? Uh, systolic heart failure uh, is now a, a, an achievable and should be achievable goal with HEFPEF as well. And so, uh, you know, all those together, I think, has, has, has driven the American College of Cardiology to come up with their 2023 expert consensus decision pathway on the management of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, which is a mouthful. We will have a link to those guidelines uh, in the show notes as well. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll 
will kind of help you. So the guidelines, as most guidelines are, are very, very long, and they talk about a whole bunch of, of, of different ways to approach this and the, the science behind it. Given the time factor and all that, we thought we would really kind of hit, hit, hit kind of the highlights. And the first section of the guidelines, again, kind of reiterates just with just what, what we've talked about, that heart failure is still a, a huge problem in the United States. Uh, about one out of every five Americans will, will develop heart failure during their lifetime. That's, that seems like a staggering number to me, but that, that has been shown. Um, that has poor outcomes associated with it, both half PEF and half REF, and that we need to be more aggressive about treating both types of heart failure, right? And then the next section of the guidelines talks quite a bit about the difficulty in, in, in diagnosing uh, HEFPEF, uh, because again, it, it is, there's no single test that definitively establishes the diagnosis. And, and so really you have to kind of, you know, do echocardiography, take a look at symptoms, take a look at their, uh, uh brain natural peptide levels and try and bring it all together to try and come up with the, the diagnosis of, of HEFPEF. Now, of course, you know, there's a universal definition of heart failure, and that's just, you know, patients who have symptoms of heart failure, and then, uh, uh they have some sort of structural abnormality in their heart. Uh, that explains the symptoms, whether it's HEF-REF or HEF-PEF, in addition to patients who have a brain nat natural peptide level that is elevated. And so that's either a BNP of greater than 100 or an NT pro BNP of greater than 200. And so uh, those would, would help, uh, you know, help the clinicians make the diagnosis of, of heart failure. But again, then you kind of stray into this, you know, okay, well, you know, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, you know, I can do an echo and the echo has, has a normal EF and the echo uh, may not necessarily show diastolic dysfunction, yet they still have symptoms of heart failure. Is there any a tool that might help us do that? And I had not heard of this before, but there is the H2F-PEF scoring system. And there may be another way to say that, but the H2F-PEF scoring system apparently is a validated scoring system that helps uh, the clinician help make the diagnosis of HEF or PEF. This is going to be hard because now I've got the H2F-PEF and the HEF-PEF, right? Um, so, uh, you know, it's similar to the CHAD score, the CHADS VAS score, where each one of those letters uh, is, is is indicated by the disease state that gives you a point value. So the H2 part, uh, the first H of those is heavy, and that means a BMI of over 30, because it is true that, uh, that patients with obesity are much more likely to develop HEF-PEF. If you have a BMI of over 30, you assign the patient two points. And then the second two of the H, the second H and the H2 is on two antihypertensives, because again, hypertension is another major cause of HEF-PEF. If they're on two or greater antihypertensives, they get one point. So they can have up to three points points in the H2 part of the scoring system. F is for atrial fibrillation. I didn't come up with this. They just, they, they did this. And uh, that's three points if you actually have atrial fibrillation. If you have pulmonary hypertension, which uh, they count as a arterial systolic pressure of the pulmonary arteries of greater than 35 millimeters of mercury on echocardiography, that's a point as well. If you're over age 60, that's a point. That's the E for elder. And then F for falling pressures. If, if your E to E ratio is greater than nine on, on Doppler on echocardiography, that's a point as well. So basically it's a point uh, system. And if uh, you add it up and the patient has greater than or equal to six points, this has been shown to have a very high uh, positive predictive value for HEF-PEF. And I had never heard of the scoring system before. Maybe some of the card specialists listening have, um, but yeah, this was new to me. But again, it doesn't take a lot. I mean, if you had somebody who was say, age 75 with a BMI of 35 on two antihypertensives of atrial fibrillation, 
they and had symptoms of heart failure, they would make the, you know, you wouldn't even need the echo results and they would, they would actually make, meet the diagnostic criteria for half that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So the next part of the guidelines goes into some, some uh, detail talking about the history of us trying to find their beneficial therapy for half path. <laughs> the, the quote from the guidelines say, historically, medical therapy for half path has resulted in a discouraging array of negative trials with no demonstrated benefit of, of half path. And certainly in my practice career, that that's certainly what we've seen. It isn't for lack of trying. Many investigators, many studies over the years have tried to find if the similar drugs that we use for half-ref, ACE inhibitors, beta blockers, uh, you know, the drugs along those lines would also be beneficial in half-PEF, and they've not been largely. And so uh, I think that was, again, why in previous iterations of the, of the guidelines, you know, the, the, the notation about half-PEF was just kind of a, a, a side note or, or kind of a, an addendum to, to, to half-ref because we just didn't have good therapy. But as the guidelines note now with the, the uh, advance of Entresto or subacrotyl valve Sartan uh, with the uh, G, uh, SGL2 inhibitors, we now do have several studies that show that these medications can improve outcomes in half-PEF and really should be part of goal-directed therapy. And so the, the whole notion of goal-directed therapy uh, really should be considered now in half-PEF patients uh, as well as half-REF patients. And just like in half-REF patients, if you have a hospitalized patient who has heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, you should consider aggressive, aggressively starting half-PEF therapy or goal-directed therapy in these patients in the hospital. And that's something we're still struggling to do uh, in all heart failure patients is putting them on, on appropriate goal-directed medical therapy uh, just because of transitions of care, fears about cost. Okay, well, I can I can send them home on, on, a, on a Flozen, but if they can't afford it, what's the point of all that? You know, what's their follow-up going to be? Things along those lines. And so, you know, I, I think that in our hospital, anywhere our health system, we're getting better at, at, at trying to overcome those barriers and getting making sure patients are on the best goal-directed therapy we can when they have half ref. And, and the guidelines point out that we should probably be aiming for the same thing for half PEF as well. Now, they do know that, you know, the, that just because the drugs we're going to talk about should be used for half PEF doesn't mean that if they have another indication for a beta blocker and another indication for, you know, a thiazide diuretic or a loop diuretic, you couldn't use those medications. Just when we talk about goal-directed therapy, they, we're going to try and talk about medications that have some sort of benefit beyond just symptomatic control, basically. So um, the guidelines then talk about five big studies, and uh, these are the studies that they kind of base the, the algorithm for treating HEF, uh, PEP on. And we're going to talk about these studies and, and take a little time and talk about them and then, and then kind of roll them into what you can actually translate this at the bedside. And we're going to do that after a word from our sponsor, CE Impact. Hi, it's Jen Moulton from CE Impact. Are you a Pharmacist by Design member yet? If so, you know how easy it is to get CE for this podcast, plus so many other education resources. If not, what are you waiting for? Join us today at ceimpact.com. Get credit for listening each week. Go to ceimpact.com today. And now back to this week's Game Changer. So we are talking about the uh, uh, ACC guidelines for heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. And we're going to take a couple of minutes now talking about five big studies that, that really have changed the landscape of, of how we treat HEFPEF and have now made kind of the, the, the notion of goal-directed medical therapy, which should be the standard of care in HEF-REF, now possible in HEFPEF as well. The first study is not a new study. And in fact, I remember when the study came out because uh, it was the first study to, to, to at least approach finding some sort of 
of benefit with medications and FPEF. And that was the part of the CHARM study. Now, if you remember the CHARM study came out, I believe in, in, the, in 2003 or 2004, and it was a pretty elegant set of studies. It was, it was a set of studies, if I remember it, was done in the United Kingdom. And they, they basically wanted to take a look at a lot of the questions associated with ACE inhibitor use and ARB use and, and heart failure. And so, for example, and they had different arms that looked at, at, at answering different questions. So, for example, uh, the charmed intolerant arm of that study took a look at patients who didn't tolerate ACE inhibitors for a variety of reasons and then randomized them to placebo or candesartan and to see if, if they saw any benefits. So that, that was part of that. The arm of the CHARM study that we're going to talk about is the CHARM Preserve study. So this is a study with a thousand patients. And, and again, they, they looked at, at candesartan compared to placebo in patients with, uh, with, with HEFPEF, though back then it wasn't called HEFPEF. <laughs> uh, to be in the study, you had to have an ejection fraction greater than 40%. The mean baseline was actually 54%. So again, you know, most definitely uh, uh, patients who had preserved ejection fraction. Uh, the vast majority of these patients were on diuretics, as you might imagine, and about half of them were on, were on beta blockers. The primary outcome of the study was hospitalization for heart failure and cardiovascular death. And they did find a hazard ratio of 0.86 for that. It did uh, just miss getting statistical significance with a confidence interval of 0.74 to 1. And so at the time when the study came out, uh, you know, a lot of people like, well, you know, there's a, seems like there might be a small benefit with this. There was no other benefit in the study. They didn't find a difference in cardiovascular death or, you know, anything along those lines. So, you know, there was a, a signal perhaps that candesartan would, would, could be helpful, but it wasn't enough for people to really turn the switch and say, okay, this, you know, all patients with HEPF need to be on candesartan. Uh, and, and it kind of, you know, disappeared from kind of the, the general, you know, the general clinician would be, I kind of forgot about the study until the, you know, uh, second decade of, or, you know, the, the first decade of the, of the 21st century. And, and, you know, basically from, you know, 2014 on above, it's going to be all the other studies we're talking about here. And the next one is the Paragon HF study that uh, looked at using Entresto in, in patients with, with HEFPEF much bigger study, 4,000 patients in this study, uh, again, comparing Sabacritil, Valsartan compared to placebo and patients with uh, HEF-PEF. Uh, again, to be in the study, you needed to have an EF of greater than 45%, and the main baseline LV function was 58% as well. Uh, uh, these patients were a little bit older than other studies uh, with average ages of, of 73, um, and mean follow-up was 2.9 years. Again, most of these patients were on uh, other therapies, including almost everybody in the study being on on diuretics, the vast majority, over 80% being on ACEs or, or ARBs. And of course, they were stopped on those and, and switched over. The primary outcome in this study was total hospitalizations for heart failure and cardiovascular death. And they found a, a hazard ratio of, of uh, 0.87 with a confidence interval, again, just touching one, um, but, but again, uh, you know, a uh, signal for decreased uh, uh, hospitalizations for heart failure and cardiovascular death, and uh, that seemed to be mostly driven by hospitalizations for heart failure. So again, not a ringing endorsement for, for Entresto, but at least a signal that it may help with, with, with uh, hospitalizations for, for heart failure. Then the TopCat study was published, and, and this study uh, looked at spironolactone. And again, mineral corticoid receptor antagonists, I, it's kind of my experience, they're kind of underused in patients with HEF-REF, and I think a lot of it just has to do with tolerability. Uh, you know, when you've got somebody on an ACE, an ARB, and a spironolactone, they often 
often just don't tolerate the hyperkalemia associated with that. But the study, again, looked at giving spironolactone to patients with half PEF patients. You had to have an EF of greater than 45 to be in the study. Uh, average age was 69. Uh, again, the vast majority of these patients were on diuretics, ACE inhibitors. Um, they could obviously not be on MRAs, mRNAs being into the study um, as well. Their uh, primary outcome was hospitalization for heart failure, uh, cardiac arrest, and cardiac death. And uh, they actually did, uh, did not find a, a, a statistically significant decrease in those. When they broke down the individual ones, they found that uh, hospitalization for heart failure uh, actually what did reach statistical significance with a hazard ratio of 0.83. And so, uh, uh, again, you know, uh, some data suggesting that uh, spironolactone does help at least prevent hospitalizations, you know, in, in uh, patients with HEFPEF. Now, these last three studies, as I've said, none of the results were really gangbusters in them, right? They didn't really, you know, rock the world of cardiology by showing how beneficial they were. And of course, then the SGL2 drugs come along. And as I've said many times before, uh, the SGL2 drugs seem to help just about everybody, unless you have DKA. Um, and, you know, when they become generic, I'll bet you everybody is on them. And so uh, we had, of course, the, the previous studies with, with these drugs had, had already shown a tremendous benefit in patients with HEF-REF. And so now uh, two studies looked at them with HEF-PEF. The first one was the Emperor Preserved study looking at paglifosin with about 6,000 patients. Again, entrance of being the study had to have an EF of over 40%. Average age was 72. Uh, about 80% of these patients were on an ACE or an ARB and 2% were on an RNA. So 2% of these, the study was done recently enough that, that they, uh, some patients were actually on Entresto uh, and 37% were on MR and, uh, MRAs. Excuse me. The um, primary outcome was hospitalization for heart failure and cardiovascular death. And finally, we got, we got some, some decent numbers with a hazard ratio of 0.79. So about a 20% decrease, relative risk decrease in hospitalization and cardiovascular death. And that did reach statistical significance. Uh, again, driven mostly by heart failure uh, uh, hospitalizations. But uh, again, uh, um, there was a, a decrease in uh, numerically in the number of patients with, with cardiovascular death as well. And then the, the liver study, a uh, very similar study with the pagliflozin, um, again, uh, very, very identical patients uh, and, and similar numbers. Uh, their outcome was worsening heart failure and cardiovascular death. And it also reached statistical significance with a hazard ratio of 0.82. Uh, they, again, found that most of this was driven for hospitalization. So again, you know, you know, we did, we have so far not found the mortality benefit with any medication uh, for HEF-PEF that we have commonly for HEF-REF, right? So we know SGL2 drugs decrease cardiovascular death, so do ACE inhibitors, so do ARBs, so does Entresto, so do beta blockers. You know, so we, we have a long list of drugs with HEF-REF that, that do improve uh, mortality associated with heart failure. Um, we don't have that kind of robust data with, with, with these medications for HEF-PEF. However, there are signals toward those and, and several of these medications have definitively shown decreased worsening heart failure and, and decreasing um, uh, hospitalizations for heart failure. The guidelines then go into talking some, into some detail about the different classes we've just talked about. It's worth noting that spironolactone, remember that you probably should not start spironolactone in patients uh, who have a uh, baseline potassium of greater than five or a, an EGFR of less than 30. Um, I, I would be very, very cautious of using them. Those are the patients that were essentially excluded from the medications and be very vigilant about hyperkalemia. Um, I think some people think, well, it's not that big of a deal. I've, I've hardly ever seen 
true hyperkalemia is brunalactone. And by itself, you know, you may not see it a lot, but with the combination of either an ARNI, ACE, or ARB uh, with these patients, uh, you absolutely will see that. And the, the, the HEF-REF guidelines actually say that you should probably check a serum potassium three days after initiation spironolactone, if at all possible, and certainly within that first week. So that's a pearl that I think is, is worth noting that if you're going to start spironolactone for HEF-PEF, do be vigilant of, of, of its effect on, on potassium. And they do know that if, if you have someone who has significant gynecomastia, that it's worth considering a switch to pyrolinone. Of course, that's much more pricey, as, as you guys all know. They talk a little about the ARNIs. Again, there's there's the only real big uh, contraindication to ARNIs is, is uh, someone who has a history of angioedema or someone who has, has been on an ACE inhibitor within 36 hours. So you have to, you have to let the ACE inhibitor wash out before you start them on Entresto because of just the, the risk of angioedema. ARBs are pretty much the same. You know, uh, you know uh, canisartan is still pretty pricey compared to some of the generic drugs like Lasartan, but again, it's the one that's been studied and, and, and it's probably the one that if at all possible, you should select for, uh, for HEF-PEF. And then SGL2 drugs, I think we're all pretty familiar with, 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 with some of the issues with them, so I won't belabor that. Um, you know, the, we've, we've definitely seen multiple cases now of euglycemic DKA in patients with SGL2 drugs um, and in several cases in patients who had no history of diabetes before. So, I mean, that is something that, that you will see and it's something worth, worth noting. So the final part of the guidelines then has a very nice algorithm. And, and again, check it out uh, from our show notes that really kind of helps you, you know, kind of, you know, stratify patients. And so they basically say to, to reach goal-directed therapy for HEF-PEF because of the benefit of SGL2 drugs, unless they can't afford it or they have a, a contraindication to its use, SGL2 drugs should be the baseline of therapy in all patients who have HEF-PEF. So that's the first part of goal-directed therapy. And then uh, they basically go down different pathways. And so they say, okay, well, if your patient has tons of fluid retention and the SGL2 drug doesn't seem to be very helpful and they have symptoms in New York Heart Association class two to four, that the first drug you should probably add is a loop diuretic. It probably now based on recent data, doesn't matter which one you pick as long as you titrate it to the appropriate dose. If, and then you have them on that, if your know, patient is a female or a male with an EF of 55 to 60%, then, uh, and, and those with fluid retention, then you ought to add a, a, a spironolactone. So, so be kind of loop diuretic then and or spironolactone. And then if, if that's well tolerated, then you consider adding an ARNI and again, watching out for, for, for high potassium in those patients. And then if they can't afford or tolerate ARNI, so they can't afford to tolerate Entresto, then you would switch them to, to uh, candesartan basically. And they don't call call it canisartan, they just say ARB in here, just like they don't call it spironolactone. Uh, but I, I, again, I would argue that, that canisartan is probably the one that you would preferentially pick unless the insurance is to the point where the patient can't afford it. So again, SGL2 is the baseline. If they have significant fluid retention and symptoms, add a loop diuretic. If they are women with any EF or men with EFs in the 55 to 60% or less than 55 to 60% range, then uh, if they have fluid retention, add an MRA. If they don't have fluid retention, uh, add an ARNI. If they can't afford or tolerate an ARNI, add an ARB, basically. So again, that's going to be goal-directed therapy for HEF-PEF. And so at a minimum, you'd think that most of these patients will probably be on two to three medications. And it's conceivable that if you had some somebody who um, had pretty severe fluid retention 
um, that and have had tons of hospitalizations for heart failure and they can afford it. So a lot of ands there, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of ifs and ands there uh, that they could conceivably be on an SCL2 drug plus a loop diuretic plus spironolactone plus a Tresto. And I don't think you're going to see a ton of patients on all those medications, but it's certainly a possibility. But I think in a minimum, you're going to see at least two to three drugs used for most of these patients. So again, you know, it's a, a highlighting that, that, that the change of, of, of heart failure with deserved ejection fraction is absolutely changing and uh, uh, new, new studies are coming out all the time. And I think we can finally approach these patients uh, at least saying to them that we now have, we have therapies that do improve symptoms, that keep your heart failure from worsening and keeping you out of the hospital. And I think at a minimum, we can say that with, with, with pretty good assurity. And I think, you know, uh, is, is really should be the goal for these patients. I'm sure new medications are coming out also trying to take a look at, at mortality benefit as well. So that's it for this week's uh, version of Game Changers. We will see you next week, but until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. See you next week. That's it for this week's episode of Game Changers. Don't forget to claim your CE for today's episode. We'll talk to you next week for the Game Changers Clinical Conversations.